Blog Talk Radio. What's going on, Conference USA fans? Thank you for tuning in to the sixth edition, number six edition of the CUSA Hoopscast. I'm your host, Alex Nicholas, live in El Paso, Texas. My co-host, my compadre out east in Birmingham, Alabama, Dave West. What's going on, Dave? Man, I am in this thing. I'm assuming everyone in the state of Alabama with internet service is listening to this podcast. There's nothing going on in the state sports-wise right now. And they want to sit here and listen to what was a really, really good week at CUSA Hoops. Had a little bit of everything. Had some overtime games. Had some big comebacks. Had one really big upset, a really big upset, and we're going to get into all those. But, yeah, man, um, I'm looking forward to talking to it. Um, How's things going over there in El Paso? Um, You know, I I walk out, and and all I hear are echoes of, fuck Tim Floyd, fuck Tim Floyd, fuck Tim Floyd. (laughs) 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 I I mean, other than the 60-degree weather here, man, I can't complain. But, yeah, you can can definitely feel the tension. Uh, You know, I got people at work. I mean, Utah basketball is a big topic of discussion for everybody here. And, you know, people that, that I work with know what I do. They know I run Minor Rush. And, of course, I'm always the one they're going to ask. And it's it's just funny hearing some of these people's opinions because they're not full-on sports nuts like me and you, David. And, and, you know, so they're kind of that casual fan. But to hear them and their gripes, it's just the same as somebody that follows every recruit that UTEP offers. So it's it's, it's definitely trying times out here. But before we get into this, i got to get your take on the Natty real quick. You know, we, we are definitely sports nuts, even though this is the Conference USA show but who, before it starts I, I got it turned off I'm gonna I'm gonna record it and watch it in solidarity once we're done here but who you got tonight I, I'm gonna tell you off the bat I'm going with Clemson I think Alabama had a lot of I think that Lane Kiffin shit was a distraction I think there's only one team that can match up athletically and when I say that I mean a team that could put points on Alabama and I think that's Clemson who you got no I agree with you like for football um, it, it's kind of similar I suppose you could say uh, beating a team twice, um, especially in back-to-back national championship games, is like beating a team three times in basketball, which happens when you play in yep. conference. So um, I, I think I think it's Clemson's game to win. I think they're hungrier. Eh, well, I say they're hungrier, but I, I, I think they I think they're going to want it more. I mean, it's nothing worse than making it all the way last year than losing. But um, at the end of the day, I, I don't care as long as anybody beats Alabama. I don't like anything about the school. I don't even like to say their name that much, other than the fact that I live in the state. So that's not the only time I choose to even use the A word. So there you go, UTEP fans. For those of y'all thinking, how how does UAB feel about Alabama? Kind of the same way some Texas fans feel about you, or some UTEP fans feel about Texas. So no love lost there. But getting back to the subject at hand, is that game is about to start in about 15 minutes, 12 minutes, I guess you could say. Did have some upsets, and we're going to just start off right at the top. We're going to look at kind of what's going on here, what went on over the last week, some very interesting notes that Dave typed up here that we're about to go over. So let's start up with, and I agree, Dave, this was definitely not only UTS. I mean, this is UTSA's big upset as a program for, for Steve Henson, but I think really uh, this, this score, I didn't really follow this game, but this short score sent shockwaves, uh, this UTSA score, when they were able to go in on uh, Saturday night and knock off Louisiana Tech. And it was just – to me, it was shocking because of what happened Thursday night 
where the Roadrunners just want, just kind of seemed like they couldn't get a jump shot to go down once again. You know, they're a really great defensive team. Uh, that mixed in with the return of Kahari Price, who had a really decent game. But for them to bounce back and to go in there, and just like you mentioned, Dave, they out-rebounded by Tech from 12. Beverly, who was almost non-existent in that Thursday game, turned it around with 27 points. I actually read a really, really good story about uh, his transition from UTSA football to basketball. This was a really huge upset to me because of what happened Thursday and, and, and really felt like they were doomed. You know, I really felt that we talked about it last week about UTSA where we felt this team was going to be a problem for some of the big dogs in the league, and La Tech included. And we mentioned this weekend being that kind of a turnaround game. But when I look at what they did Thursday night and, and essentially laid an egg offensively, only put up about 50-something points, and then you turn around and you're able to go there and just kind of push – a very talented Louisiana Tech team around who, by the way, really didn't look interested on Thursday against UTEP. We can kind of get into that as far as Louisiana Tech. But what a win for Steve Henson to go into plays, and I think they had like a 20-game road losing streak. How big is this win for UTSA, and, and what is this going to do for the psyche of this young team trying to find their niche early on here in this conference season, Dave? I think it, what it really comes down to for this particular game, UTSA winning at La Tech, I think it has a lot to do with more of La Tech than UTSA. I think the TAC has lost a little of its luster, and it has nothing to do with the fans and their support and, and what is a great building that I've been to. It's a fantastic place to watch basketball. But I say it's lost its luster because UAB did the same thing earlier this year. They, we had a 25- or 26-game win streak lost to Furman, lost to Auburn, and you kind of just – the pressure becomes too much, especially when you're a team still learning your role like La Tech is this year. I mean, they have some veterans. They have Eric McCree. They have Jacoby Boykins, guys like that. But they, they, it's a lot of those guys uh, – I'm not so sure what I'm trying to say, but – I, th- I think it's I think it's I think it's the arena. I think they felt pressure. I think when um when um because the first person the first team to beat them this year at home and uh, out of a non-conference in a long time was um the the gosh I can't think of their name the Gulf Coast the Dunk City people they beat them about oh, a month yeah, ago yeah yeah. It, yeah 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 I lost my track of thought there for a second but yeah they beat them at home about a month ago in a really close game. And I think it kind of gets in your head, like it did for UAB. You just, you just, you get in your on your home court. But I, I, as far as the statistics go, Tech had a great game from from Eric McCree, had a great game from Boykins, had nine assists from DeQuan Bracy, the freshman, who we'll talk about later. But those rebounds just killed them. I mean, especially killed them in the second half. I mean, Tech was winning in that game in the first half, and then just kind of things just got away from them. And I think they're just trying to find their identity, trying to find support from their fans to get behind this particular team because they have the right pieces. We've been talking about it for, you know, for, for five episodes. We like their inside and out game. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, this is a massive upset. The transition in, into the, what that is for UTSA, you've seen them uh, in person. Well, not at, that game, was, was that at San Antonio or was that in El Paso? No, I, I, uh, that – that was uh, that was there, but I was able to actually watch that game. Yeah, yeah, I've I've only seen them play like early in the non-conference, and I mean Je- Beverly had 27 points. I mean, in your opinion, when you watch this guy play as a forward, I mean, how good is this guy? 
you know, he's skilled. You know, he, he's very strong. He, he's, he's not an efficient type of guy. Let's put that out there right away. I mean, he's somewhere, I think, in the Kempom ratings, one of the top 30 in terms of, 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 of possessions used all year long. So this is a guy that pretty much when he gets it, he's going, he's going to the bucket. You know, he's this guy that, that's really – he's only he's shooting just under 40%. Uh, you know, not a big three-point threat at all. He's more of kind of that 18-foot end game. So I think when, when he gets on a roll – that is dangerous. You know, when he's able to kind of get his way, when he's able to back you in, when that jumper's falling from about 15, this is a guy that really, really, you know, looks very, very similar to a possible NBA prospect. Now, he's very raw around the edges. He's not maybe the most skilled guy. Obviously, coming from, uh, you know, coming from A&M Corpus Christi, and he sat out the past couple of years basically just playing pickup ball, you know, while, mind you, also a walk-on at UTSA. So you can kind of see that rust at times. But, I mean, the athletic ability this guy has can just really kill you. And, and that's really kind of what he can do. And not only that, but rebounding. That's He's kind of been a big part of what UTSA has been doing and been one of the better rebounding teams in the conference. And he's just a load physically. And like I said, the guy – he, he he teeters on NBA prospect, but he's so raw that, you know, that's definitely far-fetched to even say that, but he has those type of skills. And if he's just going to continue to get better, particularly because he is their go-to guy, and he's a guy that right now is getting is pretty much taking shots and involved in 32% of their possessions, which is 27th according to Ken Palm rating. So I think you're really going to see Beverly kind of just improve. And, and teams like the UAB, teams like the Middle Tennessee, you know, those type of teams are going to have to account for him so that the little things like the rebounding, the physicality doesn't become a factor. And that's something that Jeff Beverly is definitely bringing from UTSA. And it's trickling. It's something that you're seeing go, You're seeing not only him doing, but it's trickling down to his teammates. And that is what a, a senior leader, even though he is a transfer, a quote-unquote transfer, uh, you know, in a sense, you know, he's, he's a senior. He's only going to be there one year. Uh, you know, this guy is making that type of impact. And that's huge for UTSA because they really haven't had that type of guy. I know they've had really good players. Like Jeremy Hill comes to mind, but he wasn't that physical guy that can just kind of knock somebody over and get your team fired up. He's a sure. kind of finesse guy. So that's going to be huge. Uh, like I said, matching up against some of the better teams in the league with athletes. So definitely UTSA with, with a big uh, win this weekend. I want, we're going to get into a lot tech later because I have a question for Dave uh, about you know, whether we're, that should be a concern from lot tech, but let's move on to uh, middle Tennessee taking care of business just kind of as we expected, really just kind of rolling through in a sense so far. Uh, I don't know, is it, is it safe to kind of say they, they outside of that UAB game and what kind of UAB is going through, can we say they haven't been tested conference-wise yet? Or, you know, or is, is the jury still out on how really, really good and how dominant this Middle Tennessee team could be during the conference schedule? That that three-headed monster of Upshaw, Potts, and Williams is it's just so good. It it almost reminds me of what Memphis used to do when they used to have you know three guys that would just be just, you know head above the rest of the entire conference. I mean they're outstanding. I mean the North Texas game was was never really a game. Granted, it was less than 15 points by the time it ended. I mean they coasted, but Rice gave them a run. It was it was a contested game. It was even closer than the UAB game. Um, granted, it was on the road in Houston, but I mean they're just doing their thing. I mean all three of those guys are averaging more than they averaged more than 15 points in those games. That's just 45 point outings for those guys. I mean that, what that means is the rest of the team just has to show up. 
has to show up and not screw things up. You know, they've got Habersham, they've got the, the, the freshman point guard, they, they got Adonis Foot. They just they have a lot of good little role players who come in and they just do their job. And what it's going to take at the end of the day, it's going to take a team to just straight up outscore them when middle's on the road. I don't think it's going to happen at the Murphy Center in, Murphy, in Murfreesboro. I think it's going to be a team um, that's just, it's just, it's going to have to outscore them. It's going to have to have a really outstanding offensive night because they're, they're, they're that good. And, and that's what the teams have done that have beat them. Tennessee State, I mean, that's what they did. They just got out there and just got really hot and got physical with them. And um, but I'm not going to bet on a bet against them for the rest of the conference play. They're that good. I maybe bet against them when they go to Birmingham at the end of February, depending on how UAB plays. But other than that, Middle's got a very very manageable schedule, and you know they 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 they, they took the tour to Texas you know last week and, and just took care of business. And that's 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 just what they do nowadays. Got a chance to catch them a little bit, and it's the same. Calvary of a rotation that that Kermit Davis has, and that's just gonna, that's going to be a pain for teams that have that lack of depth, and it's just going to be something that that they I'm going to say that Kermit Davis is really going to sharpen that rotation to be sharp come Birmingham, and that's a huge huge weapon to have at your disposal. Moving along to a team that we really kind of questioned, I felt like we put Old Dominion kind of on the hot seat last week in terms of this this matchup with Marshall. We were questioning where's the scoring going to come from. Can Are they able to just score in the 70s against a team like Marshall? Now, granted, it went to overtime, but this is a team that was able to put a 45-second-half point. They led – not only that, they were able to hold Marshall to 28 in the first half, and you have B.J. Stiff come out with 21 points. Another kid that I – Honestly, don't even remember if we've talked about him, but he played 38 minutes and had 26 points, and and that is a mod car a caver, I guess that's how you say his name. Oh yeah, Old Dominion that's point. Me, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Old Dominion to me really, really showed that they can, they can, they can hang in the top five of this league. What did them going up, you know, hanging with with Marshall the way that we really didn't think that they could last week? What did that tell you about Jeff Jones and Old Dominion? Well, I'll tell you this: Marshall's really, really hanging their hat on that win. They, 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 they love the fact they came back in the second half when they were down. And but you're very rarely going to see from anybody in Huntington or in the surrounding area mention that Brandon Stiff went out went out with like five minutes to go in the first half. He has an ankle injury, and uh, Jeff Jones has said that like this is a long term injury. Like he may not be back in next month. But, yeah, so. Which which even gives more credence to ODU going to to Western on Saturday and winning that game. You know, give ODU credit there. Um, but they they gave that that game away to Marshall. And I mean, I, that, it's it's amazing, man. Marshall scored 49 second half points to pull away that game from ODU and to go to force it into overtime. They don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know if Marshall wins that game if Brandstead's not in there. And uh, and as you mentioned earlier, Ahmad Caver. It pretty much acts as their point guard. I mean, they, they have a couple of different ways they run their point system. But he had a huge game with 26, and and, and they're, they're scoring the basketball. And, and I like that for Old Dominion. They've had against Western and ODU both. They, they scored the basketball well. I mean, they scored more than 70 points, which is a big deal for them. Uh, so I feel positive about them. I agree with you. I think they're a top-five team. I think they're actually a top-four team if Brandon Stith is not injured. Especially with his brother BJ, the sophomore transfer from Virginia, he's been coming on strong, like 
for, for two, three, four games now. He, he, he's a legit guard-forward combo that's just a mess to deal with. And, you know, we've, you know for, for weeks now we've talked about how ODU just has tons of dudes in between, like, 6'4 and 6'8 that are just combo, forward, guard, you know, center things. I mean, they just, they just have, so, they have so many bodies down there. They're so physical, and that's what makes them good. So, yeah, um, I, I think they, them going, you know, you know, one and one on the road on that trip, I think that's good for Old Dominion. But if they're not getting Brand Sif back until next month, I mean, they're going to they're drop some. I mean, they still have to play middle and UAB on the road. And we've already talked about their depth and kind of their lack of that. So you take Stith out of that rotation, and you mentioned their three guards, Jordan Baker, B.J. Stiff, and Caver. They all played 38 minutes plus in that, in that overtime game. And also all 15 of their 16 three-point shots came from those three guards. And be, albeit, I mean, you know, Baker goes three for four, Stith goes three for four, Caver three for seven, a nine of 16 shooting for Old Dominion. That's very, very good for them something, you know, you rarely see from a Trey Freeman-less Old Dominion team. But I think that that depth is going to be an issue for Old Dominion, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, Zora Talley is going to have to come off the bench, really, and kind of yeah. produce in, in, this, in this place. And he played 30 minutes against Marshall. But other and other than that, you really don't have anybody else. I mean, the Porter kid also had a nice game, but that's going to be a big question for Jeff Jones and kind of the theme of what I've my rhetoric for some of these teams that want to compete with teams like UAB, teams like Middle Tennessee. You're going to have to have depth in that last 15 minutes of the second half, and I think that could come into factor when we see teams like Old Dominion later with this lack of depth that they're missing. So a team that is full of lack of of that notion of lack of depth, Southern Miss. They get a very – what's been a rare home sweep over the past couple of years with their situation. They get back Kahari Price. He comes back on Friday had a, or Thursday, had a really nice game, was kind of non-existent against UTEP. But that Quentin Campbell guy was just unbelievable. And I've said it all year in, in regards to UTEP. If you have a decent forward that can, get, that can go off for this type of night, you're going to beat UTEP. And Quentin Campbell did it over and over again. And now with Kahari Price, Southern Miss looks like one of those bottom-of-the-barrel teams, kind of like that UTSA, uh, maybe even an FAU, that that's really could give you problems every night because they have that one guy that can kind of go off. And that, if that's Kahari Price mixed with Quentin Campbell, that's going to be tough uh, for a, a teams that expect an easy weekend when Southern Miss and Doc Sadler roll in. Well, yeah, well, the big thing about Corey Price is now that he's back and he missed the entire, you know, non-conference play, including you know, a couple after, he he takes the place of one of the lone upper under excuse me underclassmen that Southern Miss is playing, Cortez Edwards, and he was just he's just not a great point guard. He just is not. He's not a, a he's not a conference USA level, if you will, point guard. So when you insert Corey Price, they're playing juniors and seniors six and seven deep. And that's and, and that's what you want. That's what you want. You want guys who've been around and and they don't you know they're they're not they're not top level players in the conference, but they're older players. You know they're those YMCA players that'll you know kind of school you with our old men game. You know, so I, I think Southern Miss isn't done doing what they what they just did this past weekend. Uh, they had that like you said that 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 rare home sweep. I think they're going to go out there and they're going to they're going to they're going to win a couple games they don't need to win. And I haven't been saying that in the, in the past couple of weeks because I didn't know what Kari Price's uh, 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 situation was. I didn't know when he was coming exactly. back. 
I mean, nobody, nobody, yeah, nobody was asking. I mean, nobody's, no one's following that beat very closely. But he's that big of a difference maker. <laughs> but now, you know, they're immediately back into the conversation of being able to make the trip to Birmingham. And what it really does is puts a hell of a lot of pressure on UTEP now. This isn't this isn't <laughs> yeah, a team right. that that they can't take the spot from any longer. So, and they beat UTEP now. So, so but I mean, okay. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for Doc Sadler to have him back. Um, to have Kari Price back, the senior uh, point guard. He's a little dude. He's five nine, one seventy, but he's a he's a handful, man. He gave us all we wanted last year when we played down in a we played them the double overtime and he he was a mess to handle. Yeah, and then listening to uh the conference USA tip off or whatever media day, Doc Sadler said the exact same thing. It was kind of like you know, we're going to be a bad team right now, but when we get Kahari back, we're going to be a competitive team. And those are not his exact mm-hmm. words, but that's basically what I got out of what Doc said. And Doc ain't going to sugarcoat it. He's going to tell it like it is. So definitely a nice little boost for Southern Miss. And I like the way you worded here our next uh, little bullet point here as we're going over some teams here that kind of stood out to us here on the USA Hoops Cats. If you want to get in on the conversation, feel free to call in here as we're live, 347-934-0951. Tweet at us uh, or email us, however you guys want to get about us to join in on the conversation. We'll add you in. But I like the way that you added, uh, worded this one with, with Western Kentucky because it's been a, a theme for them all year long. And it's a theme of an, of, of an average basketball team, a team that's stuck in the road, a team that's stuck in between a rebuilding year and a really damn good recruiting class coming up. Western Kentucky to take one step forward, one step back one step forward last week with some with some nice wins and then you come home you get a win over charlotte with a uh, q johnson with a huge huge jumper to lead them over and then you lead at odu at the half and then you lose by double digits like dave earlier mentioned without brandon said you know is, is, is this just the key of them just being very very mediocre and like we've mentioned so many times on this podcast about western kentucky just hit and miss with who's going to step up and who's going to beat that dude between Q Johnson, Pancake Thomas, and throwing him and a guy like Justin Johnson in there? Well, what's making them take the step forward, step back, and kind of having a little bit of a roller coaster, even though they went on a four-game win streak before they lost ODU, but what's making them kind of go back and forth is they've got a problem that UAB had a battle with. They don't have a true point guard with, uh, with good experience at the position. Uh, Junior Lamomba, the, the transfer from Providence, he's six five. He's he's big, kind of like UAB's um, Dion Lavender is, and he's he's just a shooting guard. He's a shooting combo guard, and so, so they're trying to run him at point guard. Um, they've got they've got good pieces around him in the starting five, but it's just there's not a good flow to it. And behind him, he's got two freshmen playing that that can be his backup. Two freshman point guards that are pretty decent players. I mean, they're, I mean, they're guys that probably won't see very significant minutes once Stansbury gets his recruiting classes, like you were talking about, once they get those into play. So right now they've got a shooting guard running, running point for, a, a, for another shooting guard and another shooting guard, you know, to the, to the right of him, and, and a pretty decent interior with Justin Johnson, who's just, you know, a lunch pail kind of guy. And um, then they've got the big Brit Ben Lawson down there. I mean, he's seven he's one, but he's all bones. They just got a lot of pieces that kind of work sometimes, and kind of, and they don't sometimes. Certain teams just like, like Old Dominion that are so physical, they just don't have enough power forwards down there to match an Old Dominion, and that's why they got taken advantage of. They have to shoot their way out of it. 
and there's only so much that their their guards can do. I mean, they're only so good. I mean, and they have some good ones. But um, I think it's going to continue for Western. I think Western's going to be probably right around 500 by the time conference play comes around. But I think they're also going to win a game or two. They shouldn't, like a couple teams will in Conference USA, because they've got older players, grad transfers. I mean, Q Johnson, their strong forward slash guard, um, shooting guard, he's fantastic. He's a transfer from Washington State. I just, out of, like, sheer luck, I put him on my CUSA first team. I, I don't even know why I did it. I was just trying to pick someone that was, you know, a, 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 a fifth person that was just kind of off the radar. And he's playing really, really well. He's averaging more than 15 points a game. And he's kind of, he kind of does it all for them. He, he'll, I mean, he's taken to the basket. He's shooting threes. He's a pretty darn good three-point shooter. But expect, expect, expect that from Western going forward. It's going to be back and forth, back and forth, unless they get some really good play out of these freshman point guards and get Junior Lamumba off the, the, you know, the point guard position and let him play his true you know, strong guard position or shooting guard position. I, until that happens, I think it's going to be back and forth. Um, I, I, but I, I'll give them credit. They beat a really good Charlotte team. I mean, not a really good Charlotte team, but a very, very efficient scoring Charlotte team. So, I mean, that's a great win. But uh, they've got a tough week ahead of them playing UAB and, and Middle Tennessee. Yeah, go, going back to Q Johnson, if you would have asked me at the beginning of the year who's the best power five or who's the best transfer, I would have told you Q Johnson. I've, I've watched him the past couple of years under Ernie Ken at Washington State with this UTEP series. And he was kind of the third, fourth option on that team, but he was always impressed me with his three-point shooting because that was kind of his role there. He was just a three-point shooter. And I think what you're describing, Dave, is probably why he left Washington State to now be able to do do it all. And, and I agree. I mean, I honestly would have told you at the beginning of the year, just watching maybe four games of him at of Washington State, just a shooter that, yeah, this dude is going to come into Conference USA and make some noise. So no surprises there. Another one of the moving on here with our week two recap of Conference USA hoops, a team that I'm going to give them. I know there's no moral losses, but I'm going to give them two of the biggest moral victories that they can come in and hang their hat on. And that's right, they had two very tough losses, games that were within their grasp, particularly that Thursday game against Middle Tennessee, because I got to watch every minute of that game. That's a game I really, really felt that Rice should have won. They're down two. I think it was about less than 40 seconds to go. Connor Kashaw, Kashaw, however you say his name, misses a bunny putback right at the rim to tie the game. When Now, they're down two, but I really felt that they had Middle Tennessee on the ropes there. If they could get that bucket and get another stop. But this team just unable to get over that winning hump when you're playing these elite teams of Conference USA. And that is going to happen for a Rice program still finding its way. And, you know, I, Mike Rhodes is a guy that is that master motivator. So I don't know what he's going to play this into, whether he's disappointed in this team because the expectations have rose. But I think he should be very proud of the way that his team fought and gave themselves a chance. All these two losses are going to do is put film on for Mike Rhodes to go back, review, Connor, you got to make this stop. Or you you got to make this layup. Guys, we got to get this stop or we're down to Middle Tennessee was able to kind of separate themselves. But Rice still battled back into that game. And I think you can take a lot of things out of that Middle Tennessee loss because there's so many good that came into it. Now, I'm going to let you talk about Saturday, Dave, because obviously you were, you were following that when you were able to watch it. And, but I just really think that these were quote-unquote good losses for Rice because – 
the mistakes that they made down the stretch in both of these games this weekend, I knowing what Mike Rose does and you watching Mike Rose conduct a practice, I don't think this Rice team is going to make the same mistakes again down the stretch, and that's scary for the rest of Conference USA that thinks that they're going to come in there and be able to handle a team like Rice. What were your takeaways from a, what I felt was a very positive weekend and kind of what we almost expected from Rice and looking ahead from last week? I mean, Rice played fantastic um, against two really good team, teams. I mean, they played fantastic for Rice. I mean, they, they obviously shot themselves in the foot um, in both games, especially in the UAB game. But for a Rice program that's just not been very good for almost a decade, this is just a massive step forward. They gave UAB and middle everything they wanted. And if they wouldn't have shot themselves in the foot, they could easily could have been you – know, they're two or three possessions away – for being 2-0 against the two best teams in Conference USA. I mean, Marcus Evans played great in both games. Igor Kulishov, though, again, he's, he's become the alpha. And I, I don't I, – I, even as much as I like Igor from last year and, and, and talking about him and writing about him in the, over the summer leading into the fall, I would have never thought he would have been this good. He, he has taken on a whole other role. He is their go-to guy offensively. You just can't really guard him. He'll take you to the bucket. He'll shoot the three more efficiently and, and more consistently than anybody in the conference. Rice is far from gone, far from done. They're, I mean, they're, they're certainly not going to be a, you know, a bottom seven team in this conference. I think they're going to be right there fighting with La Tech and Old Dominion for that fifth and fourth, you know, maybe third spot. Um, I was just extremely impressed by, by, by their play. And um, in the UAB game, they had 21 turnovers. I mean, you can't beat anybody with 21 turnovers hardly. And they still took it to overtime. And, 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 they gave, and, like, and you watched the middle game, and so did I. Um, um, they gave them all they wanted. I, I'm, just, I mean, I'm impressed with the coaching. I'm impressed with the type of players that he's brought in. Um, I, I, I'm glad we don't have to play them again, I'll say that much. <laughs> Hopefully we don't have to play them again. <laughs> No doubt about it. I mean, that team, like I said, they're going to learn from their mistakes. That, that's great coaching. This with great recruiting with alphas out there. Dogs, Marcus Evans, you know, Marcus Jackson and Igor. I mean, that's a scary-ass team to play, and that's definitely a very positive weekend for Rice. I'm interested to see how they bounce back at that this week. Headed down to the Gunshine State, or I mean the Sunshine State, FAU and <laughs> FIU. <laughs> I've heard that in some hip-hop raps, man. <laughs> yeah. But FAU and FIU, I think disappointing has kind of been their last names, I guess, in Conference USA. I'm sorry, FAU, FIU fans. It's easy to pile on you guys. You can shit on UTEP all you want. It don't matter. But like you mentioned here, Dave, FIU, I mean, we've talked about them. They're in that – now them and UTEP are battling to – keep their head above water for that third and 14 spot, it appears. But FAU, you mentioned here they're going to have a lot of pressure on the road going to UTSA and UTEP here. That Texas road swing, definitely tough for teams that are probably, I would say, east of that Mississippi. I think that's tough, you know, for those type of teams going to UTEP and UTSA. Why do you feel like this is going to be a lot of pressure on the FAU team? Because I think they have the right pieces. I think they've, they've got the right mix of inside and outside play. They, I think they've got a, a good point guard in Nick Rutherford. And, and, they, and, and, a, and Filer at times will come in and, and, and relieve him at point. I think they just, just kind of underperformed so far. And these are two winnable games. And I'm sorry to say that, UTEP and UTSA fans, but 
These are two games that none taken. None taken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They 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 just need to win them. Uh, there's a reason why they beat Ohio State because they they do have some they have pieces in place. I, I do think Michael Curry is a good coach. I do not think FIU's coach is very good. I can't even remember his name half the time, and I can and I can remember almost everyone's name in the conference. That's how little I think of FIU right now. So I think they had a lot of pressure on them because. The, from, I've, I've watched Ken Levicka, the, the ESPN, um, the, the radio play-by-play guy for FAU. I've watched him on Twitter. Uh, a week ago, everyone was psyched for FAU. I mean, the, the, I, he was talking about them a lot. The fan base was getting excited. And then they just kind of just, just had a lackluster, you know, a, a start to conference USA play. And, and one and two is not where I thought they would be going in. I thought maybe they could beat Western. I didn't think they'd beat Marshall. But I thought that they'd be two and one, and um, and I think it gives puts puts all that more pressure on this Texas road swing. I think you're going to go one and one, and and for your sake, I hope I hope it's a roadrunner one and one. <laughs> we'll see about that, Dave. We'll see about that. I appreciate you being nice, but I think the next team on our list, I could probably rant harder about North Texas than I can about UTEP. Uh, I'm going to let you talk about Frazier and Decky Johnson. Uh, Jeremy Combs, he's one of my favorite guys in Conference USA. He's been that way since since he stepped on as a freshman. I mean, this guy was banging out double-double since a freshman. But Tony Benford, oh, Tony Benford. You know what? There's only one Dumb way. And Tony, Tony Benford is, is, is a former UTEP guy. So, you know, there is some respect from that. But Tony Benford is just a shit basketball coach. I mean, there's no other way to go out there and put this. I mean, this is a guy that last year came in here to UTEP. His team was horrible. Ricky, Bryce, Combs, those guys could not hit free throws to save their damn lives, which to me falls on coaching. Hey, get those guys in the gym. So what does what does Tony Benford do instead of taking credit to you know or, or taking accountability and, and being a coach? He goes and files a petition to Conference USA to bitch about UTEP fouling and putting him on the free throw line. I mean that right there just told me that this guy just he's lost it. I mean you know and I'll give Tony Benford some credit you know to be able to to go out there and to grab some of the talent that he has. Talking about a Keith Frazier some of the other transfers that he's brought in, you know, with, with that makeup, I really felt like this North Texas team, if they can put it together, can be a force and can be a team that can athletically and matchup wise can give a UAB issues, you know, can give a middle Tennessee issues, but they won't because just like you mentioned here, there's no team chemistry. There is just no flow to their offense. You know, I, I look, I'm watching Rice, and, and I'm just watching two or three minutes, and I text you, oh, shit, Rice is running a, an NBA offense. Or I'm watching Western Kentucky, and I text my buddy at Minor Rush, hey, look at this or what they're doing. When I look at, at North Texas, X's and O's wise, I don't know what the fuck Tony Benford is trying to do with the beats that he has. <laughs> I mean, this is – this. This could be a legitimately run-and-gun type of team, 40 minutes of hell, get up in your shorts and defend you with those athletes. But there's just no sense of leadership. There's no sense of, of respect that these guys want to go out there and say, hey, Tony Benford brought me in. I'm in a fucked-up situation. Let me go out there and play hard for Tony Benford. 
it's my opinion, but I just feel like this guy is just one of the worst head coaches. Now, assistant coaches, recruiting-wise, I think Tony Benford's pretty well off, and I think he could be a nice Power 5 assistant. But Tony Benford needs to be nowhere near a head coaching seat because this guy is a piece of fucking shit, and you heard it here first from Alex Nicholas. So break us down on what Keith Frazier and Decky Johnson – what's going on with Keith Frazier and De- Decky Johnson? <laughs> That was a, a beautiful uh, soliloquy you just gave us there. I really appreciate that because I agree with all I'm, of that. I'm warming, I'm warming uh, up for you, Tip. I'm, I'm warming up for you, Tip. <laughs> De- Decky um, is, is their three-point specialist, and he, he's a good basketball player. He, yeah, he, he's, he's even like uh, a good guy to drive to the rim for them at times. He, he can kind of make stuff out of nothing. Played some good, good minutes for them earlier in the season, and he did, for sure did last year. But Keith Frazier, I mean, honestly, I'll be excited. I'll be shocked to see if he's going to play the rest of the season. I'm reading between the lines here. Supposedly he got in some kind of car wreck on the way to their game, to the middle game. That's right. I would love to see the the report, the police report. There is more to that. I watched that kid play before the conference play started. He had like one or two games. And then I um, I think I've I've seen him play like two or three times now. The, his mannerisms, the way he like holds himself on the court, just looks like he, he knows he doesn't belong there. Something's up. Something's up, and something's weird. When when I saw him on the bench against UAB, he didn't play a single minute. He looked like he he might as well have been like sitting there texting on his phone. He had no interest in that game. There's no leadership. There's no roles on that team. It's that 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 team's falling apart. That team's actually probably worse off than FIU right now. At least FIU's got, like, two guys that seem to want to go out there and put up numbers as an effort every night, even though they lose. But, um, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm saying it now. I'll be shocked if Keith Frazier plays another minute for North Texas. And, and I don't even know if he'll play college basketball again. Something's weird with that situation, and I don't know what it is. It's Tony Benford. It's Tony fucking Benford. This is the Tony Benford shit show hour here, brought to you by – Minor rush and God save the half. <laughs> so moving on here is we're ending up our list and a team that's definitely and you mentioned it earlier. This is a Charlotte team that should be a top half of the team, a team that can really kind of get after some people because of their efficient offense. But I'm going back to kind of some of their departures, which made them really, really good offensively. And I'm going back to a guy like Kern Scott, who's now sitting out at Tulsa. I'm going to ask kind of a different question of what I was planning on asking you. Do you think that this kind of quote-unquote new team for Charlotte just hasn't gelled yet as compared to what last year's team did where the talent at guard was there, where things just kind of flowed in Mark Price offense, where this year that inconsistently defensively is kind of hurting offense? Am I kind of on the right track there? Yeah, you are. They've got the right kind of pieces to be good late February and March. I think I think they'll win a game again in the Conference USA Tournament, at least a game. Probably not. Yeah, a game is probably a safe bet. I, I think they have the right kind of pieces to win on a neutral court. They've got fantastic guard play. They just, they're just kind of all over the place. It's, 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 it's basically a rebuild year for them. Um, they, they, they lost Big Joe Achibo, and they lost Curran Scott. And but, but they still have some, some senior leadership with, with uh, Braxton Noboise. And Anthony Van Hook, and uh, and I re- I still like the Clemson transfer Austin Majukla. I think he's great too. 
they're just kind of figuring themselves out. They're just unfortunately for for Charlotte fans and unfortunately for the, for their team, they're figuring it out at, at probably in the third, the, like the, the end of the of the whole uh, of the season. They're not going to figure out like the midway point, kind of like UAB seems to be. So they're, they're not going to have a great record, but they're going to be a tough out once the end of the year gets along. But I love what Mark Price is doing. He's got good players in place. He's got good young players in place. That core of John Davis, the sophomore point guard, and Adrian White, the, the shooting guard, and then Quentin Jackson, the freshman, that highly touted freshman who's had some good showing, that's, that's a good enough core for me. They're going to work around the rest. So I think Mark Price is, is going to be a good enough coach. So I'm, I'm giving them a pass for kind of going back and forth. I think they're going to be in good shape going forward. I'm going to kind of disagree with you because I had higher expectations just for this year. Now, I think you're right. Long term, I think Mike, Mark Price is uh, Mike Price. <laughs> to where my head's at. But I think he's right. a very, very good option be, because he can recruit, because of the offense, because of the NBA history, and because I've seen that he has this type of, of relationship with players as I followed John Davis's recruiting and see how he was able to, to really pull uh, UTEP away from John Davis because according to some coaches, ex-coaches here at UTEP, it was between Charlotte and, and UTEP for his services. So definitely feel like long-term Mark Price is, is that answer, and he's going to have Charlotte back in that top tier. But I was kind of disappointed for them this year, but now I'm seeing what they've kind of gone through. And it kind of ha- I kind of side with it, but I really did have high expectations for Charlotte coming in this year in terms of you know, finishing top six, winning a game or two, making it to maybe that third, fourth day in Conference USA tournament, making it to Friday. That's kind of what I maybe expected because of the caliber of player John Davis is. But definitely, in, in that that program is in good hands. And I think before, sooner than later, we're going to see Charlotte, a team that's going to get some big wins and, and come up with a big year. So moving on to our final team, and Dave had to do it to me. He knows he wanted, he wanted to get my blood pressure up. Talking about the UTEP Miners. And, you know, we've talked about their problems all year, but I'm going to talk about something different. I got something different for you, Dave. I'm talking about what Tim Floyd is spinning, the bullshit Tim Floyd is spinning. Now, I just went on a rant about Tony Benford, uh, you know, and I could go on a rant about Tim Floyd, but I'm going to go on a rant about what Tim Floyd is saying now. Uh, I think for UTEP fans, the most disappointing thing right now with UTEP is there's just no accountability from Floyd. He's setting a personal streak of blaming Lee Moore Josh McSwiggin and Vince Hunter in consecutive post-game interviews. <laughs> and that's sickening. It, it's sickening. It really is sickening gross, because, yeah. you know what, these are, these are 19 to 22-year-old kids. And I remember myself as a 19 to 22-year-old kid, and, and I played college sports, and I transferred a couple of colleges myself. So I, 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 I never, when we've talked about this on, on, on the Rush podcast, and we've talked about transfers over and over again, and I put myself in these kids' shoes, and I've come to the realization that, Tim, it's just it's hard for these kids to go through a Tim Floyd practice. As elementary as this sounds, this is where Tim Floyd's problems stem from. And this is not a knock on Tim Floyd, but I've sat through Tim Floyd practices, and, oh, boy, they are demanding. I mean, you don't set a screen right. Tim Floyd is going to jump on your ass like he's your worst enemy. Now, and that's, wow. like, that's not talking down on Tim Floyd. That, that's a style of coaching. Some kids eat that shit up. Me at the age of 19, I would have Tim, told Tim Floyd to go fuck himself, and I'm going, I, I'm going to go smoke a bowl or something. You know what I mean? And the 19-year-old yeah, Alex, totally. Now, you've got some kids like that, and I just think that he loses them. It, 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 it's a different generation of, ch- of kids nowadays, a different generation of, of you're told you're the greatest. 
from the minute that you dropped 20 points in the eighth grade basketball game. And ever since then, people are telling you you're great. People aren't telling you you need to work, you need to work, you need to work. And I think that is where that friction comes, where people talk about Tim Floyd not being re- re- able to relate to his players. Now, his, what he's talking about now, his whole spin on this is what really frustrates me is because where's the accountability for the role players behind a Vince Hunter, a Lee Moore, uh, a Josh McSwiggin? Where is the development? Where is the recruitment? And that's really frustrating. And it's frustrating to hear Tim Floyd talk about defending himself, saying, well, no other team in mid-major basketball can overcome this. And if you don't get it, or, or if, and if you don't agree and want me gone, you don't get it. Uh, Tim, Tim, slow the fuck down, bro. Slow the fuck down. It, it doesn't <laughs> take a rocket scientist to see how bad your basketball team is because, for one, attrition, I'll give you that. But, two, you're not able to develop these guys. You're not able to get through these guys on a level that they need, whether it's coddling, whether it's, a te- whether it's teaching moments. It's just his style is it, 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 it just – burnt out and go into the fact that he has Tweedledee Tweedledum on his sideline and Phil Johnson who's just a bigger idiot in this whole solution here of Utah basketball or this whole problem I shouldn't even say solution and it's just a mess man and it's just a mess and, and the most frustrating thing now is I've talked about the lack of basketball IQ the lack of depth the most frustrating thing now is Tim Floyd's spin on this where it's not me it's not my fault if you want to blame it on me go look at the, the college basketball transfer dude Take accountability. All UTEP fans want is for him to say, you know what, it, we, we, we gambled in this area. It didn't work out. You know, that's my fault. That comes on me. Quick comparison. I don't want to get too far into the UTEP thing, but Sean Kugler is, you know, football's had their issues well. He's a guy that says, he'll come out and say, we sucked. We sucked. We didn't have it. That's on me. Have yet to hear that from Tim Floyd. Yeah. And I think that's really the most frustrating thing for UTEP fans going forward. And, and this week, like you mentioned, Two quote-unquote winnable games for this UTEP team. Winnable is out the question. Let's just move on to next year. Personally, and this is going to be crazy for the UTEP fans that, that follow me and know, I hope that they don't win the game. I hope that they don't make the Conference USA tournament because that's the only way that there's going to be some sort, and there isn't going to be any sort of accountability, but that's the only way it could possibly happen. So moving on from that UTEP rant, I felt, kind of felt good at the end because I got to <laughs> off my chest, but let's move good. on to our I, I need to hear bar. that. Yeah, so it definitely, definitely felt good to say it, but it's sad that I had, we even had to go there. So moving on to our what's trending, and we, we really touched on Marshall earlier, but we talked in, uh, on them about their loss to Old Dominion, or their win against Old Dominion, and how they were able to come up. But this is a team that you mentioned today right here. Everything's going right. They were playing well going into the conference slate with two very good competitive games against uh, Power 5 teams, if you want to call Cincinnati a Power 5 team, but two teams that – you didn't expect them to compete with, but they did. Everything is definitely going right for this Marshall team. What is the ceiling for this team is my question to you, as, as we know how hot they've been, but what's the ceiling of this Marshall team before we head to Birmingham? It's high. It's high. And guess what happened? I don't even know if you saw this when we were getting prepped for this show. Guess I've, I've talked about this guy for weeks now after C.J. Burks came back. Terrence Thompson's coming back. And, and it, of all times, he's got a freaking comeback. He's coming back the week that he plays Middle Tennessee, the Marshall plays Middle Tennessee and UAB. That's just a really big piece for them. And, and, and it completes what I think is probably Marshall's best team since, um, since uh, Hassan Whiteside years, you know, those kind of years. Marshall's had some really good years in the past, you know, 15 years. 
And I, mean, I think it's just all falling into place. John Elmore, I mean, he's just a, such a special talent. I mean, we're going to you know, briefly go through the player of the year, you know, candidates that we think coming up. But, I mean, let's just be honest. It's, it's the John Elmore show right now. He's averaging more than 21 points a game. He's got Marshall fans just just coming out to snow and ice and whatever in Huntington. I mean, it, it, and, and um, Dan Antonio's getting in national media press for talking about, you know, defending the way that his offense, you know, they're playing, you know, we're going to outscore you. You know, we may not defend, you know, like the best team in the nation, but, uh, you know, the better teams in the nation, but we're going to play the way we play and we're going to take high percentage shots and we're going to take a hell of a lot of them. And, and, and I'm buying in on it. So, uh, it, 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 you know, the real catalyst here for them has been, been the senior Ryan Taylor. And uh, I mean, you probably saw he got the USA Player of the Year. I almost felt like he robbed William Lee because Lee had two, he had a 19 and 20 point game on the road when Ryan Taylor had two double double games. Granted, he had silly numbers at home. Um, but going back to Ryan Taylor, I, I, I think he, he just has a fantastic year. And then lastly, you know, Austin Luke. Austin Luke is what they needed last year. They needed another consistent three-point shooter. And he has just snuck in there. And now he's got 50, 55 three-pointers on the year leading Conference USA. I mean, we're, we're talking – I probably named four or five names right now, and I could probably name one or two more. They've just got really good six, seven, eight deep of players, and that's what it takes to win a Conference USA championship. Looking at another team that trended up this week, with what well, we talked about last week, a get-right week, and this is right up your alley, Dave. I'm going to set you up beautifully for this one. We talked about replacing Nick Norton or trying to replace Nick Norton. I think you guys found something. I think you found something that's really, really going to pay beneficial, maybe because you found it this early in the conference schedule. Talk about the Blazers. What's been, what was the change this weekend from that up and down out of conference end that we saw? I mean, it's Denzel Watts, and, and it's almost like, a, you know, why don't we think of this earlier type of thing? But I think it was a reason why it, it took this long to, 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 to build Denzel Watts back into the fold. I think it was a couple different things. He was, was a red shirt as a senior, which is really bizarre when you're not injured, before the season started. Uh, excuse me, about two games into the season, all, we had a press conference. The, the AL.com beat writer at, you know, was wondering because Watts kept sitting on the bench. And he asked Ethan and said, what, what's the deal with Watts? And he goes, you know what, we're going to redshirt him, you know, to give us a little bit more depth and continuity going into the next year. The reason why I think that may have happened, I think, I, I think it had a little bit to do with Denzel just not staying in the right game shape going into the senior year. And I think it had a little bit to do with him just not being really happy with his playing time. So, what has happened is it's taken, you know, 10, 12, 13 games for him to get back to that point. He's played minutes throughout the year. He just hasn't played significant minutes, like 20-plus minutes. He's only done it once before, before January. But, but he's there now. And in Lavender did, did, a, did a serviceable job. He never let us lose two games in a row. And I'll give him credit for that all day, all along, because I, I like the way Lavender plays. He's a good team player but he's a stinking shooting guard. He's not a point guard. Um, he's serviceable at best. But Denzel is a traditional point guard. He's not Nick Norton. He'll never be Nick Norton. There's a reason why Nick Norton is on, you know, NCAA, you know, student athlete committees and things like that. Nick Norton's got a basketball IQ 
that's just off the charts and to match, you know, you know, uh, really elite athleticism. So he came in and um, he started the North Texas game, which was a really nasty, sloppy game. North Texas kind of made it that way. They really slowed it down. You know, there's a good bit of fouls, and we weren't shooting particularly well. But come, come out second half, I mean, Denzel hits four three-pointers in that game out of nowhere. And Denzel's – I don't know if you've ever seen Denzel shoot, you know, uh, going along with his 230-pound two, point guard, guard, point guard uh, uh, body type, which is weird enough. I mean, when he shoots, it takes a long time, and it ain't looking pretty. But he's hitting them, and he's hitting them consistently, and it really propelled UAB through that North Texas game. And then he just he, he just played good enough not to let us get beat against Rice. He started the game, shared time with Baxter and Lavender at point, and it's, and it's kind of a, 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 a commutative effort, and, it, and that's working. But what it, really, what it really goes down to is we're doing that, that uh, you know, we're doing it with a point guard. We're starting the game with a traditional point guard who's not going out there and getting us beat and kind of getting us lost. He's getting guys comfortable. He's getting them shot. But going forward, once we start playing some of these, you know, better teams, Rice is good, don't get me wrong, but once we start playing Marshall and uh, La Tech and things like that, the supporting cast, the Dirk Williams, the Chris Coakley, they just need to lift their game a little bit more. Because William Lee had, like I said earlier, he had a really good weekend, really good week last week. But we need see, to see the supporting cast lifted just a tad more. If that happens and Denzel plays consistently, I mean, we're talking about, I mean, they're going to challenge middle. I mean, they're that good. I mean, UAB's got the right kind of depth and, 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 the right, and the right kind of experience that they will challenge middle for this championship. They're just going to have to have Denzel play consistent, and they're going to have to have guys like Dirk and Copley come out and, and, and do you know and, and be double digit scores every night. Go, going back to Denzel Watts, I remember hearing that he was going to get Richard, and then you know when you follow conference teams, you, there's always that one guy that never graduates. And to me, that's all, that's been Denzel Watts for UAB. Been a guy that's been consistent there for you guys for years. So I, I, that's really good to hear. I've been kind of that that fan of him. He's built like a damn linebacker at guard. So that's really good to see a guy like Denzel Watts be able to get his kind of quote-unquote shine after – I was really surprised, like you mentioned earlier in the year when they said he was going to be, uh, you know, redshirted and, and looking at, at kind of what UAB had coming back. If you would have asked me in October, I felt that Denzel Watts could be a part of, of this team. So that's really good, uh, you know, just being a fan, I guess you could say, of Denzel Watts. So lots, lots to cover over last week here as we definitely went over. So let's move over uh, to this weekend now. Obviously, another full slate of games, but I'm looking at it this weekend as a whole, and I see three very good games Thursday, three very good games Saturday. I'll start with Louisiana Tech and Charlotte on Thursday, followed up with Marshall in Middle Tennessee and in Western Kentucky at UAB. You know, obviously, you'll probably slide to UAB as homers as we are, but looking at those three games, what's going to be that impact game or what's going to be that game that's going to make us text each other or kind of drop our jaws at at those outcomes between those three games I just mentioned Thursday night? I think Marshall Middle Tennessee is the obvious choice, and it's such a contrast in style. Uh, Marshall's leading the conference in tempo, and Middle Tennessee is actually anchoring it in tempo. They're 1-14, which is really kind of – a testament to how just good, solid, efficient Middle Tennessee's offense is. They're able to play that slow 
and still beat teams. And that's a big-time game. It's great for the conference. It's great for a team other than UAB, you know, in the past couple of years to have a, you know, to, to, to some other teams to have a game like this with such a high profile, in my opinion. You know, a 4-0 team playing a 3-0 team. That's what you want in the middle of January. It's fun to watch. It's going to be competitive. I have no idea which style is going to over, overcome the other, but it, it's, it's going to be a great game. I don't think the UAB Western game is going to be as good as as you may may seem like on paper. I, I know that UAB has got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder against Western, having lost the last two against them, me, having lost two against them last year. But I think UAB is going to find their way at home. I think the students are coming back, and I think they're gonna they're gonna come out with some meaning. And I don't, I don't think you're gonna see a, a single digit game, in my opinion. I think UAB is gonna come out there and put it on them and stay on them and be relentless. But um, the early one you mentioned was La Tech and Charlotte. That's two teams that are hungry. You got a team that's two and one and one and three, and then one and three teams at home. And Charlotte's been pretty darn good at home. I mean, do you do you have a feel for that game? Yeah, I think that's really, really going to be a, a – I don't want to say a, a shootout, but that's going to be basically the team that either has the ball last or the team that can get a stop in that game. I think that's going to be a, definitely a, a 1B to Middle Tennessee and Marshall's 1A, but I like that game. I think that's going to be a fun game to watch. You're going to see some scoring, some efficient scoring. If Louisiana Tech, they've been kind of – this is a team that kind of lived and died by the three, reading some previews and looking at their stats. If they're knocking down threes, especially on the road, that's a tough team to really crack and to be able to kind of – with their athleticism and their length, and not to mention what they can do defensively and block shots. I mean, I didn't even mention that earlier. You know, they blocked about six or seven shots for Utah, and they altered so many more, and that's a big deal – when you're trying to match up against Las Vegas, I think that's going to be what Charlotte is going to have to is going to be able to match up with to, to to keep their efficient offense and not being able to get shots affected. And I think that's going to be a key for the 49ers. And also to mention that Thursday game, Marshall and Middle Tennessee, that's on BN Sports. So check out our boy Jeremy on that broadcast. Definitely going to DVR that one. Moving along to Saturday. I want you to definitely preview this Marshall UT, uh, UAB game, but I think the other two games, as I mentioned, there are six games that really kind of jumped out at me this weekend. Definitely Louisiana Tech, Old Dominion on Saturday. That is going to be a really, really key game. And I, just because of the contrasting styles in both teams, La Tech can kind of be built to play physically, but we haven't seen that because of the great athletes that they have. And we didn't even talk about uh, Daquan Bracey, a guy that you really wanted to get into. A very talented guy. Didn't do much what I saw against UTEP, partially because of what kind of their game plan was. But nonetheless, I mean, this is going to be a game where Daquan Bracey is really, really going to have to get their shooters good shots against Old Dominion. I really feel that he's going to be a key to distribute. This is a guy that we've talked all year. He's not going to have to score 10 points, but if he can get Louisiana Tech into some really good offense against Old Dominion, they're going to give the Monarchs all sorts of hell, and that's a tough place to play. And I'm looking down, and I lied to you. I don't see really another third game on Saturday. Uh, you know, I was kind of eyeing that Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee, but what you were kind of yeah. saying about UAB and Western Kentucky, I think Middle Tennessee will have the way, but give me a preview to what could possibly be one of the craziest games, and it sucks that it's at a 1 o'clock. Well, it sucks I can be able to watch it, but I think this should be a prime time game. Marshall and UAB, you're going to be front row in that one, or I don't know if they seat the press front row, but you're going to have a damn good seat regardless. Preview that game for us, partner, and then end out the show. No, I'll, I'll be I'll be middle court, front row, watching this game. Marshall and UAB had two really, really great basketball games last year where both teams played really well, 
and UAB just happened to edge them out on both occasions. They played in Huntington in January, and it was a, an 11 o'clock tip central time. So it's just like this game. And UAB snuck it out at the very end on a very controversial call. So Marshall fans were pissed at UAB for the next, like, month and a half until um, Marshall came to UAB, and it was like a 90-something to 90-something game. It was just as good as it gets. UAB had won, like, you know, 13 games in conference at that point. And, and Marshall came in there and was just hitting everything. The, the, I mean, Bartow was nearly packed for, for a CUSA game that wasn't Memphis. It was just awesome. I really think this has almost developed into not, not necessarily a rivalry, but, it, it, but these, this particular, um, these players on these two teams are very familiar with each other, and, and they have respect for each other, but they, and they play at the highest level against each other. I think you're going to see John Elmore, um, C.B. Browning, uh, um, Taylor. I think you're going to see everybody come in and, and produce for Marshall. And I think you're going to see the same for UAB. I, and I think this, this is going to be a really pivotal week for UAB. If they win these two games, then everybody's talking about UAB and Middle Tennessee again. It, it's back to a two-horse race. When everybody gave up on UAB, you know, after they lost 11, about 11 points the first game of the season. So, as big as a big as a week this is obviously for Marshall, who's four and zero in leading the conference. It's that big a week for UAB, and and I don't know if Marshall gets by middle or not on Thursday, but let's just say they do. That just makes this game so much more important on Saturday. Um, I, I'm, 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 I'm I, I can't wait to watch it. I love when 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 Marshall is good at basketball because their fans are so passionate, and especially with UAB when when they, when they're kind of on the up. And the momentum's finally coming back for the season. Um, it's going to be an epic, Alex. You're going to have to watch it for sure. Oh, no doubt about it. That's old school CUSA rivalries, I guess you can call it at its finest, and definitely going to try to find a stream to catch that one on. So, Dave, very solid week. Looks like we covered it all. I called Tony Benford a piece of shit. I think I put Tim Floyd in his place <laughs> on him to step his game up. You had some positive words against UAB. I think that's such a solid episode six of the CUSA uh, Hoops cast. What you think? <laughs> Man, you, you brought the heat this week. I, I'll, I'll be completely honest with it. I didn't, didn't see it coming, but I'm glad it happened because it made me feel better. I feel like I have a better understanding of your frustration that you've been pinting up. And, uh, but, dude, I hope y'all get, I hope y'all write the course. I mean, there's nothing better than, than beating a couple Florida teams at home. And uh, but I, mean, I know how you feel. You don't you don't you don't know exactly what you want to going forward because you don't you don't want to see success and and see um, you know continuity of coaching going into next year. Or so, but um, I I appreciate the um, the candid words and you know I, I think we can both agree on North Texas sucks. Yeah, and then I got no filter, so I apologize. <laughs> this, this is not on the FCC. I can say whatever the fuck I want. So. <laughs> That's true, man. That's true, man. This is a podcast, a couple dudes. <laughs> appreciate everybody giving us listens. It's been growing every week. We appreciate it. Every Conference USA fan from the UAB side to the UTEP side to the neutral side. Appreciate everybody listening. Catch Dave over at at the underscore Daily Dragon on Twitter. Follow his personal one, at God Save the Hand. Check them out, thedailydragon.com. Game previews, anything you want UAB-related. And, hey, their football team's coming back. So if you're interested in that, they're going to definitely have your yeah, interest. Check us out. Check us out at SBN Minor Rush, at SBN Minor Rush on Twitter, MinorRush.com on Facebook. Check this podcast out on iTunes. Just search into USA Hoopcast or search in UTEP. 
And we got y'all covered. So for Dave West, this is Alex Nicholas. Until next Monday, we out. Peace.